the reading is taken from Revelation chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 7. To the angel of a church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found to be false. I know that you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of a tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Here ends the Bible reading. Thanks a lot, Tim. Well, guys, good morning. Keep your Bibles open in front of you. And on the back of your service sheet, there's a sermon outline if you'd find that helpful. Uh, before we get stuck in to the passage, can I ask you guys a question? Do you ever do something and then forget why you're doing it? Uh, Rosie, my wife, is constantly going up the stairs and then forgetting why she's gone up there in the first place. Uh, and this question got me um, thinking about service stations, motorway service stations. Have you got a favorite motorway service station? I won't stop at any which don't have McDonald's in them, um, much to the irritation of Rosie. And, uh, uh, but they're really easy places to get distracted in, aren't they? Um, you, know, you go in to, to stop and have a bit of a rest, maybe get a bite to eat. And uh, there's so much rubbish you can buy inside. You know, you can buy two-man tents, teddy bears with your name on them, uh, you know, hardback magazines from the latest royal wedding. Uh, there's normally an M&S, so you can buy three bite-sized chunks of organic melon for five pounds. Uh, and so, suddenly, you're very distracted from the real reason why you were there in the first place. And this was a bit like the experience of the Ephesian church, which we're going to look at today. There were lots of great things going on, but they'd abandoned the very thing that was supposed to be driving them forward. They'd forgotten why they were doing what they were doing. They'd abandoned their first love. So, who is this letter uh, from and who's it to? Well, the part of the Bible we're looking at today is a letter to the church in Ephesus. Uh, it was dictated to the Apostle John while he was in exile on the island of Patmos. And it was dictated to John by Jesus himself. And Jesus is described in this passage as him who holds uh, the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I don't want to get bogged down in that picture language because the picture has already been described uh, what it means in the previous chapter. The lampstands are the churches and the stars are the angels of the churches caring and looking after them. And why is there seven of each? Well, um, the, in the book of Revelation, all of the numbers mean something, they represent something, and we know from the rest of the Bible that the number seven means completeness or perfection. So this picture of Jesus is 
is presenting him as the one who has complete care, complete control of all of his churches. And uh, his letter to the church in Ephesus, as with the other six letters uh, in the start of Revelation, starts with the words, I know. Jesus knows each local church perfectly. And in this letter, we're going to hear about what he makes of the church in Ephesus. But we should remember that Jesus knows St. Joseph Benwell perfectly. So we should pray that he would speak to us and encourage and discipline us from these uh, verses too. So let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would speak to us through your word. Show us where we as a church can glorify you more. Amen. So Jesus has three positive things to say about the church in Ephesus. Three encouragements. So let me show you them in the passage. Uh, keep your head down in, heads down in the Bible. The first is that they are full of effort. In verse 2, Jesus says, I know your works and your toil. See, this was a hard-working church. The second is that this is a church who patiently endures. Verse 2, Jesus praises them for their patient endurance. And verse 3, he says that he knows that they are patiently enduring. And thirdly, Jesus praises them for standing up for truth. Not only do they hate the evil sect, the Nicolaitans, in verse 6, but they're also praising, uh, praised for testing apostles and not bearing with those who are evil, in verse 2. So, let me introduce you to Nikos. Nikos is a typical member of the church in Ephesus. He serves in the music group on Sundays. Uh, he helps out the youth group. If there's a gap in the rotor, Nikos is the one to fill that gap. Um, on top of that, he holds down a full-time job. He's always inviting his colleagues to come to church. Uh, he always takes time off work to do holiday club and to do camps that the church are running. And he's always the last one at church clearing up. Nikos understands that being a church worthy of the praise of Jesus is hard work. I'm sure I don't have to convince any of you of that. But for Nikos and the rest of the church, it wasn't easy being a Christian. It wasn't easy being a Christian in Ephesus, just like it's not easy being a Christian anywhere. Suffering for the gospel was an everyday reality for them. Nikos had lost his job for becoming a Christian, and his family was still putting up with insults and threats. But despite all this, Nikos was patiently enduring. Everything that was being thrown at him, and Nikos was standing firm. And Nikos had also made a stand against false teachers uh, that had sprung up, like the Nicolaitans, who were claiming to be apostles and teaching evil in the name of Jesus. Nikos and the Ephesians were willing to take a stand for the truth of the gospel. And I think we can see a lot of Nikos and the church in Ephesus and, their, and that church family. We can see that a lot in our church family. We're quite similar. We're striving to be a church which is full of effort, a church that's enduring, and a church that's passionate for standing up for the truth. So you might think that this church in Ephesus is pretty good. You know, this is pat on the back time for Nikos, pat on the back time for us. Or maybe not. Hang on. What does Jesus have against them? What danger does he want to warn them of? And what might Jesus have against us? Well, if you look down at verse 4, Jesus says, But I have this against you. 
that you have abandoned the love you had at first. But I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Jesus had loads of positive things to say about the church in Ephesus and how they were doing. But as he knows each church perfectly, he could see what the problem was. It wasn't with their actions, but it was with their motives. Nikos was doing all the right things, but he was doing them for the wrong reasons. It hadn't always been this way, though. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, uh, that's also found in the New Testament, uh, was written to the same church 30 years before. And it finishes with this sentence in chapter 6, verse 24. It says, Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. This had been a church who had been known for their love of Jesus. But 30 years on, things had changed. They'd abandoned that love uh, for Jesus. That first love from which everything else had followed had been lost The ministry was all action, but they'd forgotten why they were doing any of it. They'd forgotten that it was supposed to be their love for Jesus that was uh, the fuel for what they were doing. Nikos had found lots of great reasons to serve. You know, he'd found it a great way to make deep friendships. Um, He'd loved the activities that they put on at the youth club. He was also serving for some pretty bad reasons. Um, You know, serving to earn respect and gain a good reputation. He'd also been pressurized into doing it, guilt-tripped. He was serving God for good reasons and bad reasons. But Jesus is clear here. Serving is worthless if the main reason that you're doing it isn't a love for Jesus. Jesus is warning Nikos of real danger. Serving because he was guilt-tripped into it will only lead him to feel used and become bitter. Serving to earn respect will mean he'll only serve when other people are watching, mean he'll have no integrity, he'll give up on prayer, and he'll become ineffective. And ultimately, he will just burn out from it all. Well, that's Nikos and the Ephesians, but what about us? A love for, an excitement about, an amazement at the person of Jesus must be fundamental to everything we do as a church. Would someone coming into our church family and getting to know us, would they describe us most fundamentally as a family of different people who all love Jesus? It's an interesting question to ask. There are lots of reasons we do what we do as a church. You know, there's a reason why we run KidZone on a Monday afternoon. There's a reason why we've got a food bank collection at the back. And there's a reason why we've got a music group. But if the deepest reason for everything we do isn't a love for Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us, then Jesus is going to have that against us. That is why we've got to say no to lots of good ideas for things we could do as a church. There are lots of great things we could do, but we need to make sure that we have time and space to focus on our love for Jesus and for discipling others to love him too. That is the only way that we can be an effective church. When I was aged five, uh, my dad did something that uh, has affected my life ever since. He took me to a youth event at JPC in May 1998, 
to watch live from Wembley, Newcastle United versus Arsenal. And as I'm sure some of you know, uh, Arsenal won 2-0, and I literally couldn't stop talking about them for weeks afterwards. And by October, I had my first Arsenal shirt, and uh, up until the age of 21, yes, you heard me right, 21, when I decided it would probably be time to grow up, I wore an Arsenal shirt every single day. <laughs> there were tough times being an Arsenal fan, although I accept not as tough as most clubs in the country. But when we had those tough times, I could always look back on that day when I first fell in love. Now, I realize that is obviously a stupid example. <laughs> and love for Arsenal and love for Jesus are so different in many ways. Uh, but I think it's helpful to ask those same questions. Do you remember that feeling you had when you first understood the gospel? Do you remember that feeling you had uh, towards Jesus when God first revealed how amazing he was to you? Do you remember what that love felt like? Do you remember the way that impacted what you did? Is it that same love that's impacting you now? Is that what's fueling the way you serve God? Have you, like the church in Ephesus, abandoned the love you had at first? I don't know about you, but I found that passage pretty challenging to read. It's good to feel challenged, though, when you read the Bible. That's how we become more like Jesus. Uh, and thankfully, Jesus gives us some clear steps to take if, if that is something that we're struggling with, either as individuals or as a whole church family. And the first thing he says in verse 5, Jesus says, remember from where you have fallen. Hopefully, listening to this talk is helping you to do just that. Maybe we should all take some time out this week to just pause and think about our love for Jesus. Is that what's spurring us on? The church I went to in Sheffield uh, when I was at university uh, used to make each church member on their birthday um, complete a booklet called the Spiritual MOT. And the first question on that booklet was this, how did you become a Christian? And it wasn't there by accident. It helped people to remember that love for Jesus that they had at first. Maybe that would be a helpful thing for you to go through with a friend or a spouse uh, sometime this week. Also, going to evangelistic events I find helpful. Uh, I find myself being re-evangelized myself. I see, seeing the gospel put so clearly, seeing people put their faith in Jesus, seeing people love Jesus for the first time. It helps. It's a great way to remember that our love for him, to remember from where we've fallen Secondly, Jesus tells the Ephesian church to repent and do the works you did at first. Now, repent is a Bible word. It means uh, to change direction, to take a U-turn, from going our way to going God's way. My teachers used to say to me at school, don't be sorry, change. And God, throughout the Bible, makes it clear that if you are sorry, you will change. And that's what repentance is. And as we look back and see that a love for Jesus isn't motivating our serving, isn't guiding our lives, then we need to repent and change what we're doing. We need to commit to uh, making a love for Jesus a priority again. Commit to enjoying God again. I'm sure you could think of people in our church family whose life isn't easy, and yet they serve incredibly faithfully 
because they have not abandoned uh, that love for Jesus. Their love for Jesus is still as strong as ever. I wonder if we got them up the front and we interviewed them here, just like we did with the, with the terrorist a couple of weeks ago, David Hamilton. If we asked them, how do you keep your love for Jesus at the center of everything you do? How do you stay amazed by Jesus? How do you still enjoy God so much? I wonder what they would say. Maybe they would say something like, spending time with God in his word each morning, letting the Bible show, um, show me how amazing Jesus is, is a big part of it. Maybe they would say that. Maybe they would talk about radical steps that they've taken to make sure that they're serving God for the right reasons, being accountable to people they trust about pride and selfishness, focusing on serving God when no one is watching. Maybe they would uh, say they regularly talk about when they first became a Christian, when they first loved Jesus. Maybe especially to non-Christians, which can be even more helpful. Maybe they would talk about enjoying being plugged into a Bible study, a small group uh, of Christians who are encouraging each other to love Jesus more. We can't do this on our own. I wonder whether any of those things would be helpful for you. Have a look down again at verse 5. Here, Jesus spells out what will result if we don't change, if we don't repent. He says that Jesus himself will remove the lampstand from its place. If you've been driving around any of the cities in the UK uh, recently, you'll see that so many church buildings are no longer churches. You know, they're cafes or they're libraries or they're lecture theaters. Well, what's happened? Well, in the vast majority of cases, the lampstand has been removed by Jesus. This is not an idle threat. If the love of Jesus is not at the core of everything we do, Jesus will take away our right to be a church representing him. And that's true on a personal level too. We may know people ourselves who, like Nikos, have served loads in our church. But as they've slowly abandoned their first love for Jesus and they've started serving for the wrong reasons, they've become bitter, they've burnt out, and they're no longer part of the church. And this may look from the outside like this is their doing, but maybe it's Jesus removing them as he keeps his, the focus of his church on himself. This is a very serious threat to us, and we should all take it very seriously. Jesus finishes off his letter to the church in Ephesus with an encouragement, an encouragement to receive God's word to you. Verse 7 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So after the threat of taking the lampstand away, Jesus encourages his church. He encourages them by reminding them of the prize for the church who conquers. The conqueror, the one who listens to this letter, takes it to heart and acts, has something very exciting to look forward to. He says that he will grant them to eat of the tree of life in the paradise of God. This image is taken straight out of the first few chapters of the Bible. 
in Genesis where Adam and Eve were given a tree whose fruit would keep them alive. Access to this tree was an incredible gift from God. But they chose instead to eat from the one tree he told them not to eat from. And because of their sin and their disobedience, they no longer have access to that first tree. And also we are stained with that same sin. We too disobey God. We too have no access to that tree of life. Death is a reality for us. But Jesus here at the end of the Bible is showing that the story of the Bible has gone full circle. That due to his love for us, he has provided for us a way to eat of that tree of life again. What is the paradise of God? Well, it's where God lives. It's where God dwells. That's what makes it a paradise. The God, the Bible says, is love himself offers the conqueror, the one who loves Jesus, eternity to love Jesus in. Eternity to enjoy God in. And if you're sitting here today wondering, how could I possibly love Jesus? Well, nothing displays how worthy Jesus is of your love than this. More than this. That he loved you first and showed that by dying, taking the punishment that you deserved, the punishment of God, and giving you instead the paradise of God. Let me pray. Father, thank you for Jesus and the love that he has shown us. Help us to love him more and more. Let that love for him drive us to serve him wholeheartedly. Amen. Oh,